0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, lie. we live. We live. live.
1: This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On. To get podcast on the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and fantasy sports, I'm Doug Branson. I cover the Charlotte Hornets for FanRagSports.com. I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend from the mean streets of Cotswold. He's been covering the Charlotte Hornets since they were the Charlotte Bobcats for AtTheHive.com. David Walker, Walker,
0: Walker, Walker. Boy, have I ever, Doug. You know what I mean? I don't. Please, elaborate. No, that's it. I just okay, was out. my good. Very Go good.
1: We have a great show ahead for you. The Hornets back in action tonight against the Brooklyn Nets. We will have a preview of that game. Plus, we will have some comments on goings-on around the National Basketball Association, including Kawhi Leonard and Mark Cuban. But first, let me just say this. Follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnHornets. Follow us on Instagram, at LockedOnHornets, as well And uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes if that's how you listen to the show. If you listen on Overcast, make sure you are starring every episode. That helps uh, get the word out about this show. Pops us up on the rankings. But really, the most important thing that we need you to do is just tell other Charlotte Hornets fans about this podcast. A lot of people don't know about podcasts in general. It's It's still really not mainstream. So when you inform people, hey... There's a show that every day they talk about Hornets. They talk about NBA for about 20 to 30 minutes. And it's it's really smart. It's really fun. They try to have a fun time. They play, you know, sound bites like this. Bees! Bees right? everywhere! I mean, occasionally. We, we have some fun here. So uh, tell your friends. Uh, tell your Hornets fans out there about Locked On Hornets. It will really help us out. Okay, before we get to Cuban tanking, before we get to Kawhi Leonard, before we get to the Brooklyn Nets game, David, you have some thoughts, some pros and cons on uh, some names that have been floated around for the open general manager, head of basketball operations, whatever the Charlotte Hornets end up calling it. Uh, The names for that position, you've got some pros and cons for each. Of course, yesterday uh, we went through the removal of Rich Cho as general manager of the Charlotte Hornets. It happened very quickly, a lot, a lot quicker than I think I expected, David. Someone asked me yesterday, are you surprised by Rich Cho being essentially fired? He he went to the team and said, What's the status of of my contract? Because it, if he was going to be retained, it would need to be uh, re upped essentially. And right. and they they the organization got together, put their heads together, and decided to move in, a, in another direction. But it happened now, uh, right after the All-Star break, before the season was over. That's what surprised me, is that it did not go on uh, and, and happen. I expected it to happen before the draft, but not this soon.
0: Yeah. Do you think he, he certainly still gets paid? So he's just at home uh, reviewing new food spots now right or not at home but big time out checking out food spots big, big time, time yeah. check it out
1: in fact he he actually posted a, <laughs> he posted one the day that. that he was removed
0: that's right it was this podcast
1: act. is kind of a side thing for us you got to stay on that grind
0: it was weird. It was like a big ice cream sundae and a bottle of champagne, which I thought was a little odd uh, the day you got let like, uh, go. I, I, I respect
1: you know, the swagger, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> All right. Cheers to you. Uh, Cheers to you, Charlie Hornets.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'm with you, though. I mean, I don't think we were surprised that it actually happened. At least I wasn't. I mean, we've been talking about this, but the swiftness and the, um, the, you know, the, the fact that it happened right now with 25 games left to go was a little surprising but honestly I think it was the right thing to do because like we said yesterday this allows them to start looking to get a jump on the search process and to have someone in place by the time things really get going in the offseason prepare for the draft work with the scouting department get in there and get a feel for what they're going to do on draft night and try to figure this thing out so I mean probably the best case scenario for the team um you know and good on Russ Chriss for just asking what's up and and being upfront about it and uh yeah it was probably the right thing to do
1: for everyone well david and we've seen across the nba situations where they they tend to slow play big decisions like this and we've even seen where the 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 general manager is retained through the draft and then i think this happened in new york where it's retained through the draft and then removed yeah. so in that scenario people always ask what, like what are you doing Like, why did you wait so long, and why did you let this person helm your draft efforts if you were going to move on from them anyway? And so I think the Hornets may have learned from some of those situations, both the perception and just the practicality issues with those situations, and uh, they made this decision now, and the question – they are starting their search immediately – so they are yeah. looking for their next general manager, head of basketball operations, uh, personnel, uh, leader. They are looking for that person right now. And there have been names floated around. David, kick us off. Pros and cons of these general manager candidates.
0: Yeah, these five names were mentioned by Rick Bennell and have been floated around as Possible options for the Hornets here, Doug, and I, I went through and tried to give a few pros and cons on each, and just want to get your thoughts, see what you think about these. Let's start right at the top, the name everyone's talking about, Doug, Mitch Kupchak, last seen in Los Angeles, heading up the Lakers operation, and of course, the pros, the name, Mitch Kupchak, uh, has gravitas in the NBA, if you will. He's has the experience, has made some big deals in the past, we spoke on those a little bit, has made massive deals that never actually came to fruition. Thanks to David Stern and the uh, NBA offices has managed a big payroll. Certainly you, you would think he would not be overwhelmed in the draft room or picking up the phone, uh, you know, to answer or call another GM. I feel like those relationships, even with the new guys, I mean, you think Mitch Kupchak would be comfortable in those conversations Certainly wouldn't be afraid of the phone, Doug. Can he
1: um, can he that, can he can he handle multiple phones placed up to his head at the I same think,
0: time? <laughs> I think Joe Dumas can he pull a yeah, Joe not We've seen how dangerous that can be. I think people are going back to one phone, but uh, I could be wrong. We'll see. Um this, this is one of those things that, that I think we haven't talked about enough though, Doug. Like when Danny Ainge, when you get a call from let's say Danny because he seems to be the guy these days that you just don't really want to deal with because you always get you, you get the feeling like he's he's taking you for a ride, you know what i mean? Maybe that's why the Hornets didn't do that draft night trade. But I, I don't think Mitch Kupchak would be the guy that would be intimidated or or feel out of place talking with Ainge or someone like that on the other end of the phone, you know what i mean? No,
1: yeah, i i think it goes to the the experience factor. Uh, I think he's yeah. respected around the league and and you and and why is that important? Well, it's important for a variety of reasons, but one of them being that when you talk to another uh, executive of another team you you would like to think that they're not going to leak the information that you provide them and and one of the factors that goes into that uh, oftentimes it's the other other person on the end of the phone like are they are they trustworthy but so if they no, have respect if they yeah if they have respect for you and if they are friendly with you then then you can kind of keep things under wraps and and that's important for an organization because it it makes these uh it makes things less awkward when you're trying to deal a player. We saw that that tend to break down right before Rich Cho was removed. The 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 news about Kimba Walker leaking to to Woj among others and that stuff tends to happen when you do lose those relationships uh, around the league.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Now, some of the things that you may want to watch out for with a mid cup check hire would be maybe he's a little too old school, Doug. You know, maybe he's a little too from 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 uh, the days of yore, the days of yesteryear, perhaps. Maybe a little too stuck in his eyes. We don't know, um, but he did not have a successful last four years in in the Lakers organization. Depending on how you su- su- define success, I mean, he was dealing with the legacy of Kobe Bryant, how to figure that out, how to play that out. And as a result, made some bad deals, gave out some really bad contracts. And I don't know how much you can compare that to any other situation, much less the Charlotte Hornets situation, but you do have to take it into consideration along with that, the coaching hires that he made during that time. Now, certainly I'm sure Kobe had a voice in that uh, welcomed or not, but Mike Brown, uh, Byron Scott's one of your favorites, I know, Doug, and uh, those cannot be positives on his resume.
1: Why would you? Why would you bring that name up to me? Why would you talk about Byron Scott in my presence? It was
0: it was bumpy. Let's just say. Well, it was bumpy. the
1: reason that you bring up the old school negative for Mitch Kupchak is because he was criticized fairly or unfairly for not essentially doing the the kind of illegal tampering right. calling free agents a little early to set up meetings that a lot of people felt specifically I think on the the Kevin Durant sweepstakes that teams like Golden State so July it's like the July 1st date is the first day mm-hmm. you can you can really communicate with free agents and and it was perceived that a lot of teams were getting the jump on that by just setting the meetings up prior to July first, and and I think that Kupchak was criticized because he was not doing that, and right. so yeah, you, go so listen like to uh, my these my, waters, my right? yeah my my advice is to go listen to Kupchak on Woj's pod uh, from a few months ago. And and they kind of dive into that a little bit. And I think you can kind of see it from both sides. All right, who's next?
0: Daniel Ferry, old Danny Ferry, was last seen uh, in a major role, in a prominent role with the Atlanta Hawks organization. Has since been brought on in New Orleans, I believe, as more of like a consultant type guy. But I think one of the big things you look at with Ferry was he built a consistent winner that got progressively better in Atlanta and I think if you're the Hornets, you're pointing to that example as to how they want to go about building their own legacy. They're, they're not trying to get the quick fix. I don't think they're trying to be a consistent playoff team. They're trying to, you know, slowly work their way up in that fashion. And, and that's what he did in Atlanta. And, and that was pretty impressive. He successfully,
1: um, I think it's fair to say, he successfully built the model that the Hornets were, have been trying to achieve the past few years.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So if you're going to look for someone who can do that, um, you know, has been in, I mean, Atlanta's a larger market than Charlotte, obviously, but I think some of the hurdles that the two teams have are, are similar. And so I think you can look at his track record in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, aside from his exit, which will fall in the con category, you know, had a pretty good run and, and would be a good example and a good roadmap for the Hornets to follow. Speaking of those cons though, Doug, his exit in Atlanta um it was bumpy due to some language used in a scouting report on the yeah, on Lewald Ding. Well, was, so let's uh, let's let's break bumpy. down
1: let's break down what happened. So he got a scouting report on Law Ding in the midst of Law Ding's free agency, and Atlanta was considering signing him. Danny Ferry was a fan of Law Ding, wanted to sign him with the team was on a conference call about Ding or about free agency and read the scouting report aloud. There was some, uh, some, inoffen- some offensive language, some racist language uh, in that scouting report that was not written by Danny Ferry, but he read it aloud, and then right. a co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks, uh, that, that, that information leaked, and then a co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks called for him to resign. And there, there was an investigation. Danny Ferry was, they basically went through all of Danny Ferry's emails and were like, oh, like he liked Lowell Ding. He's never said anything like this in the past. He was reading a scouting report that had the language. So they, they, uh, basically absolved Danny Ferry. But by that time, the relationship between Ferry and the organization was not, you you couldn't patch that up when a co-owner immediately says, get out of here without an investigation. And, and so Ferry leaves the team uh, and goes on, a, goes on a, like a permanent, essentially, leave of absence and, and then is eventually uh, leaves the team. So, yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. It was, it was weird. It was messy. And, yeah, I think you still have to file that under the con category.
0: Yeah, I mean, you get the feeling he's going to make his way back into a permanent role somewhere. So you just have to ask yourself if the Hornets want to be that team Uh, to do that. I would also ask this.
1: I would also ask this. Do they want to pursue a guy in Danny Ferry who did successfully execute the model that has not worked for the Charlotte Hornets rather than find somebody who may have a different direction? Right. I think that would be a legitimate question. Okay. Who's next?
0: The last comment was that he went to Duke. I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, (laughs) Just sorry. Sorry, everyone. Uh, Jeff Bowers, Doug, um, maybe the most unknown, I don't know. There's two or three unknown names or one or two actually, but Jeff Bowers is a guy who is in Detroit currently working with Stan Van Gundy. Uh, so we all know how the parallels between the Van Gundy family, you know, that coaching tree, Steve Clifford, a lot of similarities there, but I think for Bowers, you're looking at front office experience, certainly willing to sign off on the big trade, Doug. I mean, That change in Detroit came when Blake Griffin was acquired. That was a big, you know, kind of a big gamble they made here uh, at the trade deadline. And so far, it's really paying off. They have changed their trajectory with that addition. So, I mean, you've got to give him credit for that one, bringing on a big-time free agent with some injury concerns. I mean, not a free agent, a big-time player in a trade, but then can certainly help them uh, in the short term. So, I think that's what you have to like about Jeff Bowers. Yeah, on no. I, well, side. I think no, I, I would yeah, add.
1: I would add this to the pro list. Uh, you, whenever he makes a good deal for your team, you can you can tweet something to the effect of the power of Bowers. I would add that to the mm. list if if he okay. does, I'll and I, and I would Hold certainly on. I would certainly tweet that if he is hired. All right, what oh, are the we cons? Are in,
0: we are into the puns here um, with Trader Joe. Yeah, the cons. Is he really the only voice in Detroit right now, Doug? I mean, it certainly doesn't feel like that. Stan Van Gundy casts a large shadow. Is his superior. there? Right. So if he were to come into Charlotte, would that be the same setup here? I mean, that's one of the big concerns for everyone. How involved is MJ? It's terrifying. Would he be able to listen to him? Would he be able to tell him no? Would he be able to have a commanding voice, you know, in this uh, group with the front office and the coach and, and the management? So, That would have to be a concern there. I think some of the other moves they've made in his time there, Doug, are not exactly home runs. You know, the draft picks they've acquired and Stanley Johnson and uh, Luke Kennard this past year, I I don't know that you're a huge fan of those just yet. And also the big free agent contracts they have given out, Reggie Jackson most notably, have not exactly worked out either. I'm not a big fan of of some of those. And up until that Griffin trade, Doug, you know, it wasn't really working out. So I think you have to look at that as far as his track record goes. And that's just his time in Detroit. So, I mean, a few red flags, I think, there if you're looking to add him in and shake things up.
1: All right. There are two more names, David Griffin and Gerson Rosas. Should we get to these tomorrow? Because I want to give these the time that they deserve. Yeah.
0: If you like, I'm, yeah. I'm going to tell you I, I like one of these guys a lot. So okay, that's a, tease tease. That that's a good tease. Yeah.
1: That's a good tease. Which one of these names does David really, really like? Is it Garcelle? I like
0: David. I like David as a name, but I'm just saying, like, guys, you know, you know. What I mean?
1: Got it. Day or David Griffin. And <laughs> which one does he consider a shiny asset?
0: There. <laughs>
1: Okay, a few uh, notes on the NBA, and then we are going to preview tonight's game against the Brooklyn Nets. When we come back, Locked on Hornets.
0: You are listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. Don't <laughs> sign them to a, a $40 million contract. <laughs> can you shoot? Well, that hold is on, the caveat. On, if he can shoot, on. I would, uh, would be good. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com.
1: David, quick question for you. Are you glad that the Hornets did not trade for Kawhi Leonard now that the news is coming out that he has apparently been medically cleared to play for the San Antonio Spurs after he suffered a a quad injury that has really kept him off the floor uh, for this entire season? Uh, But he's been medically cleared, but now he's opting... To get a second opinion and remain out.
0: Uh, no, this would have been the perfect situation if you traded for him. Man, he didn't play. They would have been horrible. Gotten a high draft pick, and then he could have come back <laughs> next year and been amazing. So it's a Tim Duncan situation all over again. So the Spurs are not going to be able to benefit from that.
1: But it's really, it's really interesting. This doesn't. Yeah. We haven't uh, gone through this with the San Antonio Spurs very much, where there is a little bit. I mean. Relative to the San Antonio Spurs, this is high drama. You've got oh you've got Kawhi Leonard saying I'm I'm opting out of of playing, and then you have Coach Pop saying even if he does return late in the season, there would be a decision about whether to bring him back into the fold. And Kawhi Leonard is their is their best player.
0: Yes, that's true. That's it's very weird. It's very weird. What's he played nine games or something this season, sometimes yeah. it's weird on a couple of them. It's weird they're still that good. Like It's weird they're still able to compete at that level. But especially from Kawhi, right, that's all we've been told about him because he doesn't say a whole lot, uh, has that Tim Duncan demeanor. So, I mean, yeah, this is uh, interesting, but, you know, it's the Spurs you have to think it won't cause too much of a, of a shakeup over the long haul, but man, you never know when you're dealing with injuries and injuries were really becoming the story of this season, oddly enough, after they spaced all these games out to help. Um, But Kawhi is is one of the best players in the league, man. It's, it's wild to see that. How do you think this would be handled outside of San Antonio? I mean, anywhere else, this would be blowing up, right?
1: Well, again, I think even pop saying what he said, that, if Kawhi returned, that there would be a question as to whether or not he would be brought back into the fold. I think that in and of it, again, that relative to the Spurs is is calling someone out is high drama. And, and but I think from Kawhi's perspective, he's looking at it and, and saying, you know, I don't want to cause long term injury. And yeah. this, let's be honest, this San Antonio Spurs team is not going to compete for a championship, I don't think they have a shot against, they might not have a shot against Houston, much less the Golden State Warriors. So why not just be fully healthy, take that decision out of the coaching staff's hands, out of the trainer's hands, and just say, see you next year. But I think the problem that a lot of people have with that is that they expect the number one guy on a team, the star player, to do what Kemba Walker does, oh, Kemba Walker injures his wrist. Well, that's fine. Tape it up and get back out there. That, but that's Kemba Walker's prerogative. That's his. Yeah. That was his decision. And he's the guy that always tells. You know, we hear these stories that that Clifford will say, like, "Are right, do you you need to come out?" And Kemba looks at him and says, "No, I'm good."
0: Yeah.
1: And and so there's. What do you want? Do you want your player to do that and risk his own health? Or do you want someone like Kawhi Leonard that understands, hey, I am the franchise. I am the future of this franchise. This franchise has no legitimate shot of, of contending for a championship this season. We might next season. Let's, let's run things back. So,
0: yeah, a lot of new, conflict. New, new, new challenges in San Antonio. You, you, would, have think, you would have thought they, they would have seen it all by, by now, but I'm sure it'll be fine.
1: Mark Cuban. Owner of the Dallas Mavericks fined six hundred thousand dollars for talking about tanking on a podcast. I've always said, don't talk on a podcast. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Listen, it'll cost you money. Uh, so, no, fined six hundred thousand dollars for talking about tanking. And and interestingly, not the worst thing that happened to Mark Cuban this week. You're fined on the on the on the downhill side of a million dollars. $600,000 for talking on a podcast, and it's not the worst thing that happened to you all week. Of course, you, you have to be under a rock to not have heard about the Sports Illustrated report on the uh, the goings-on inside the Dallas Mavericks organization, A the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks uh, and uh, the, a reporter for Mavericks.com getting caught up in a huge uh, sexual harassment uh, allegations, and uh, it's just, it's just a really bad situation for the NBA. Really bad situation for Mark Cuban, who is, I, I guess he's, he's claiming ignorance. Yeah, he's claiming yeah. he's claiming ignorance that he didn't know anything about this, which is really, really hard to believe.
0: Well, listen, how many how many Shark Tank shows do they tape a week? I mean, he's, but
1: can you okay? But can you be? This is the question. Can you be as public, as front facing as Mark Cuban is, and talk as much about the Dallas Mavericks as Mark Cuban does? This is not normal behavior for an owner. You, you know, like you don't see MJ going on podcasts and, and no. talking about his we team. <laughs> I know, we, no, we Come tried. on. Come on, <laughs> Michael. We're friendly here. We we do in fairness to his airness. That's a segment. You know who is good at basketball? Michael <laughs> Jordan. That's and, right. And you, but can you be that public and then claim ignorance of the business side? That's his defense. Like, oh well, that's that's the the operation side. That's not the basket. If you ask me about somebody's contract, I can tell mm-hmm. you. But that's the business side. I don't know what's going on on the business side. That's where sports ownership compared to company ownership is very, it's a very odd thing because so, I think some owners would would be the opposite, right? They could tell you every little thing going on on the business side of their organization, but don't really want to be involved and are not involved in contract negotiations, in free agent signings, right, and would claim and would claim a little bit of ignorance on that side, but Mark Cuban, not that way.
0: Stepping back, yeah, I, it's weird. How how does this compare with just the acknowledgement from? everyone in the organization like with the Panthers because it seemed like when that came out again from Sports Illustrated like this was a known thing that Jerry Richardson was acting this way like were were a lot of people aware of this
1: well it seems like it I mean so this actually this Sports Illustrated story on the Dallas Mavericks actually pinged off of the story about Jerry Richardson as soon as that story hit they were getting tips about other sports organizations and let's say this oh
0: I'm sure I'm sure they I, th- are.
1: <laughs> I think you would be naive to think that this is it that this was an isolated incident in the NBA that the Panthers are an isolated incident in the NFL I uh, think we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg about about uh, the way some of these organizations are are operated and yeah, of course, other people knew about it. It seemed like it was they were getting tips all over the place, and oh, talk to me, and you should also talk to this person. And the interesting thing is that the the women in this Mavericks organization were fine in the locker room. Like when they were yeah. around players, players treated them with respect, and I'll say the same thing for the the Hornets uh, organization as well like there are there are women in that locker room that are reporting off for various outlets and mm-hmm. the players there are all very respectful of everyone men and women and yeah. uh it's but it was when when those same uh employees would go back to their desks that they would be mistreated and so it's an unfortunate yeah. situation and yeah. uh one to definitely keep an eye on because again this is going to send This is, you know, emails, uh, human resources, they're on it, on every organization at this point. And it it will be interesting to see. So we get the Mark Cuban fine for Tank Talk, $600,000. What's the fine going to be for this? What's the punishment going to be for this? Will will his claim of ignorance absolve him from the... It's not absolving him from Rachel Nichols. It's not absolving him from the jump. She jumped all over it. And and rightly so. Because I don't think you can... Again, I don't think... You can be, I'm not, I'm not disputing his ignorance on this matter. Maybe, maybe he was, maybe he chose, like, I'm not going to uh, be involved in the business side. I'm going to let my, my team, my CEO, my team, the problem is the CEO was the, was the perpetrator, but, but maybe he was ignorant, David, but that's not what I, that's not what I'm asking. That's not the question that I think is important. The question that's important is, can you be as public as Mark Cuban is about his organization? I'm the owner. I'm Mark Cuban. I get fined for complaining about referees, and I'm involved in this organization in in the most public way, and that helps me sometimes uh, uh, get players and my relationship with the team. Can you be that and then choose to be ignorant about everything else in your organization and be absolved when anything like this happens. I'm not sure that that's the case. Okay, we have to move on because the Hornets are playing basketball tonight uh, in Charlotte. They will be playing the Brooklyn Nets. Short break, we'll be right back. We will preview that game for you. Just a second. Locked on, Hornets. <laughs>
0: are listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. Think about that. If they won 15 games, if they won 15-0, they'd be a lot better.
1: <laughs> right? Wait, hold on. Breaking news. Yeah, Breaking, Breaking that news. Pull that that soundbite.
0: You know I wasn't about to try to do some math. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast.
1: All right, it's been a long All-Star weekend, but a good All-Star weekend. If you uh, take the word of Coach Clifford and the players at practice, they say they feel rested, they feel rejuvenated, that the team is ready to play tonight against the Brooklyn Nets, their first game uh, back since the All-Star break. It will be here in Charlotte, tip-off, 7 o'clock p.m. The Nets are coming in on a seven-game losing streak. The Hornets beat Orlando to close things out before the break, None of that really matters, though, right? Because both of Mm. these teams will be claiming the all-star break renewal. The Nets are out of the playoff picture completely. The Hornets still holding on to small, waning playoff hopes. David, what will you be watching for in this one?
0: Yeah, normally that would matter when a team is out of the playoff race. They'd be focused more on tanking. But for the Nets, it doesn't matter, Doug, because they don't have their pick. So that's why I think you have to be a little careful with a team like this who Dangerous. still has, yeah, still has. I mean, I guess you would say they have something to play for. They, I guess, something. it's more accurate to say they, they, they don't have, they don't have nothing to play for. I don't know if that's correct either, but you know what I'm saying. That there's no benefit to them losing, so there's really no benefit in for in for them not trying. And two areas I'm looking at, Doug. They shoot the second most three-point attempts per game in the league, thirty-five a game. That's been an area that the Hornets consistently struggled with over the last two years. And also, they're riding that Spencer Dinwiddie um, uh, skills challenge high. So just watch out for that.
1: Ooh! Oh man, that trophy that he doesn't know how to hold. Is he still? Did he give it away? Did he melt it down? Like he just did? Acted like he did not want the skills challenge trophy. It's the craziest I mean, thing I've ever gave, seen. If I had won, if I win heart. anything, like you couldn't pry it out of my cold, dead hands.
0: Well, just be careful. He's the most skilled guy in the NBA now. So when he's on the court, watch out.
1: Well, listen, the Nets are, they are youthful. They are energetic. They are fast. They are capable of spreading the floor. They can put five shooters on the floor, spread you out, and they do. Kenny Atkinson, their coach, the point guard whisperer, loves guards, loves guard play. Uh, they just they've shot a lot, as you said, David. They just haven't shot it very well, not as well yeah. as they would have hoped. A lot of that due to injury. Obviously, Jeremy Lin gone for the year, uh, lot, and and D'Angelo Russell too has missed extended time, and he's back now, but he's been playing a bench role, and so that's been a little odd. Will will he be elevated to starter, or will Spencer Dinwiddie continue to get run? That's a big question moving forward for the Nets. Uh, a lot of their struggles, though, have been due to a few guys like Alan Crabb, who they brought in in free agency, does not play for the Portland Trailblazers anymore, by the way. Got that got that wrong the other night when we did the Portland uh, preview. Uh, so Alan Crabb has been underachieving, not shooting the basketball well. Uh, their starting five, though, David, big and physical. Both guards are 6'6". Quincy Acey and Jarrett Allen are both beefy under the basket, and DeMar Carroll uh, floats around the three-point line, but he's a really physical defender as well. So this team, the starting unit, can punch you in the mouth. And then their bench, if their bench is shooting well, they are a dangerous offensive team. You've got Joe Harris, who's shooting the ball very well and and was starting for them for for a little bit. He's back to being a, a, a bench sharpshooter. But when that bench is shooting well, this team performs well offensively. Overall, this team really doesn't defend. Like they're just they're not equipped to defend right now. That's that's not a concern for them as an organization. They're 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 getting they're getting their offense figured out, and then as they as they start to compete again, I imagine they will start to uh, bring in guys who can who can lock you down. But Jared Allen uh, is is a great role man, good offensive presence, big body underneath, but uh, you know struggles defensively as as a young player. And uh, you know the guard play Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I think both of those. Uh, uh, both of their guards are very, just very loose on defense. This is just a team that's focused on getting up and down the floor. So there's a lot of possessions, a lot of opportunities to score on the nets. Uh, so what I'll be watching for is the Hornets' defense. Will they finally uh, show their face again defensively? Over the last ten games, they're 27th in defensive rating, 23rd in defensive rebounding. That's a Hornets staple. They're supposed to defensive rebound like that's what they do, and they haven't been doing it. Doing it. Uh, 26th in points in the paint. And David, this shocked me. This absolutely shocked me. In the last 10 games, the Hornets are dead last in block shots. Wow.
0: I'm shocked as well.
1: Shocked by the blocks, the lack thereof. So uh, I think they have to get back to defending the rim well and just defending in general. It just has not been a priority for this team uh, over the past 10 games. And it, it apps, I mean, look, this was a team that came in with expectations of being a top five defense. They thought that they needed to be a top five defense because the offense didn't have the same firepower as years past, especially from the three point line. So that's what I'll be watching for in this Hornets and Nets game.
0: You know what I mean? Uh, one thing, one, one quick thing, if I could uh, make a uh, slight correction, I believe Jeff Bauer's name is Bauer. There's no S on there, dog. So I'll have to come up with a, a new nickname. Maybe the Bauer Hour. The well, po- well the, the, I here. think
1: you could still say the power of Bauer. It works even better. Okay. okay. So listen, Alan Crabb plays for the Nets. He does not play for the Trailblazers. <laughs> and Jeff Bauer. I thought I had it wrong, to be perfectly honest. I thought when I saw it in your text, I thought, Oh, maybe you I've been you were, I yeah, always that's the right assume assumption. Yes, I always yeah. assume that I'm that I'm wrong. Uh okay. It's been a good show, it's been a fun show. We're going to be back tomorrow with a recap of this game and much more. We have two more names of general manager candidates that the Hornets may add to their roster. We'll give you the pros, the cons. It'll be a fun Friday. Thanks for listening to this edition of Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search. Locked on Hornets and tell a friend until tomorrow. I'm Doug. He's David. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm.